days forever. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter number 5. If I wrote a memo to all of our church members saying urgent prayer needed now, we are under attack. I suspect that most of you would would pray. And I suspect that many of you would contact me and uh, and want to know what in the world is going on. What's this all about? What what's happened now? <laughs> uh, well, the truth of the matter is, we are under attack every minute of every day. And I could send that note first thing every morning, day after day after day. But after a while, it would become just old hat. In other words, after a while, it would, you know, business as usual, and we would just read the note and then turn around and ignore it. Well, the truth be known, a lot of folks are living in la-la land without any consciousness of the danger therein every day. And notice in our text here in verse number 8, Peter says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. September the 11th, 2001, our president was in... uh, a second grade classroom. As he was listening to uh, one of the children read, all of a sudden Andy Card, the the chief of staff, came in and whispered eleven words into the ear of our president. He simply said, "A second plane hit the second tower. America is under attack." I'm so thankful for the dignified response that our president had at that moment. And I'm so thankful for the determination that he displayed to bring those people to justice. But that was a rude awakening for Americans. We'd lived in the lap of luxury so long and safe within our borders and protected by the strongest military power on on this earth. And we never dreamed that something like that would happen right here on our homeland. It just didn't seem real, and yet, and yet it happened. Well, you know, there's too many times that people don't get serious about spiritual things until a crisis comes. And we all know what the response was. We all know how that people, you know, for the first time in many years, people started going back to church as our, as our troops marched off to battle, as we lived with that air of uncertainty. And suddenly the church attendance is soaring and everything is going great. And, and after a while, we're just right back in the same old rut. The crisis has come, the crisis is gone, and now it's right back to our biggest worry being who's going to win the World Series and the Super Bowl. 
What a shame it is when we get so distracted from the danger around us that all we can think about are those things that bring some kind of fleshly pleasure, but that's, that's where we're at. But this morning, I want to make this really personal to you, and that, that's the way it was intended here. Our text speaking about Satan and going about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Even as we eat, sleep, and play, as we go through our regular routine every day of our life, as Bible believers, we need to live in the light of what the Bible says about the threat of danger. To ignore the warning of 9-11, for example, would have been, would have been absolutely foolish. For us to read our text here this morning and then to just yawn and move on is, is absolutely stupid. And yet that's exactly the way a lot of people respond to these facts. Your adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion, he says, seeking whom he may devour. And it's not a matter of you and I just protecting ourselves. We need to, we need to be victorious that we might be able to protect others, as it were, because you mark it down, there are some that are under attack at this very moment, people that you know that are under attack. There are others that are already in the grasp. And they're feeling hopeless. There are others that, well, it's too late for them. And no doubt tonight, Brother McWhorter will be telling you about some things related to people that have lost that battle, as it were, with Satan. He got the advantage of them and destroyed them. And it's my prayer this morning that something will be said in this message that will awaken you and alert you that, that you'll live every day in the light of the danger that you face. It might, might be good if you just made a note, a little placard of some kind that says, I am under attack, and put it right there at your bedside, and every morning when you get up, the first thing you see is, I, I am under attack, because that's the way it is. This isn't anything new. This is not a conflict that just started recently. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and there you find Satan at work from the very beginning in his effort to destroy man. And you trace his work all through the Old Testament. You come to Romans chapter number 1, and you see here a depiction of what happens when we go down that road of ruin, we look at our society today and, you know, those of us that are my age and we wonder, how did we get here? How did we get here? How is it possible that our nation has changed so much in such a, in such a short time? It's unbelievable. We live in a state of shock. Some years ago and... I don't know how to pinpoint it exactly. You know, we like to put all the blame on the hippie movement or something like that. But listen, we, we weren't angels back in my day in the early 50s. We weren't angels back then. We had our hang-ups and problems. 
But it just progressively got worse. And now we see in Romans chapter number 1 the description of a society that although they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened to the point, it says, and God gave them over to a reprobate mind. We look in 2 Timothy chapter 3 where Paul tells us that we're living in perilous times. That men will be lovers of their own selves, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They'll be without natural affection. It's so amazing to me today that we live in a time where family members don't even love each other. I don't understand that. Listen, listen, before I ever knew anything about Christ, before I'd ever trusted Him as my Savior, I had more respect for my mother and daddy than most church members do today for theirs, and they claim to be Christians. There's, there's something drastically wrong. Satan has gotten the advantage of our society. And, and, and listen, I want to warn you, I want to encourage you that you might not fall prey to him, but that you might be able to finish your mission. Because let me tell you, if you're a Christian, you are on a mission. There is a job for you to do. Now, to defeat the devil, our enemy, we need to do at least three things. Consider three things. First, the danger itself. The great military leader, General Douglas MacArthur, wrote an article many years ago, and uh, it was requisites for military success. And he said there are four ingredients necessary to win any battle, morale, strength, supply, and knowledge of the enemy. Of that last one, he said, and I quote, the greater the knowledge of the enemy, the greater potential of victory. Boy, it's easy to make a spiritual application there because we need to be aware of our enemy. Sun Tzu, and the art of war. And I've kept a copy of that for years and years. There's, it's not that it has any spiritual application, you know, in most instances, but there's some things in that that teach us about human nature. And in the art of war, he says all warfare is based on deception. Now think about that. All warfare is based on deception. The famous English preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones said, a man who does not understand the nature of the problem he is confronting is a man who is already doomed to failure. That was never more true than when it's applied to our Christian life. We need to live with an awareness of the danger that we face because Satan is not playing games. He's not trying to hurt you. He's trying to destroy you, literally. The sad thing is, in the average church today, we've turned it into a playground, an entertainment center. We don't realize that we're, you know, we used to sing, I'm on the battlefield for my Lord. Well, good night. We, most people today don't think of the Christian life like that being a battlefield. To them, it's a playground. Let's have fun. Let's get together. Let's enjoy. A lot of people are in love with worship that know nothing about loving God. 
I wrote an article the other day about the matter of Bible study. You know, a lot of people love to study the Bible, but they don't love the author of the Bible. And there's evidence that that's true because of the fact that even though they studied the Bible, while they can debate the Bible, as I said in the article, they can tell you who the Antichrist is and two witnesses during the tribulation. And, you know, they love to argue about all of the, you know, the mysteries of the Bible and things like that. But they refuse to put it into practice. Listen, we're in a battle. We're not playing a game. There's danger involved. But secondly... We need to be aware of Satan's devices. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 11, he says, we are not ignorant of his devices. Well, what's he talking about? He's talking about the plans, the thoughts, the schemes of Satan. You know, that if we're well-informed Christians, we are not ignorant of his devices because the Bible explains clearly exactly what he's trying to do and how he does it. Several years ago, I preached a, a series of messages entitled The Devil's Deadly Devices. And I mentioned several different things. The first one was deception. And I mentioned that because Satan is the master when it comes to deception. You go all of the way back to the fall. And remember, Jesus said in John 8, 44, that he's the father of lies. So, I mean, that's what you can expect. And you look all the way back in the Garden of Eden there and, and his deceptive power. He deceived Eve. Adam knew what he was doing, Eve was deceived. Deception. You see, things are not always as they appear. It, you know, it, it troubles me more than a little whenever I sometimes pick up on bits and pieces of conversation. I hear somebody, I hear somebody say, oh, did you hear John Hagee today? Or did you hear Andy Stanley today? Or Believe me, I've got a long list that I could mention, and I'm going to quit there. No, I didn't. And I don't have any plans to. You better be careful who you listen to. All that glitters is not gold. And just because, you know, they call themselves a Christian, just because they uh, the pastor of a church and they got a big crowd doesn't mean that there's not danger there. Deception. And that, that's, that's exactly what Satan uses. That's the main thing that he uses, but, but it's not the only thing. In addition to deception, there is diversion. You see, I've often said, you know, the greatest enemy of, of, of that which is best is not the worst, it's good. The devil can distract us with something, you know, that's not necessarily sinful, not necess something not necessarily evil, there's not, not anything wrong with it, then he can get a victory because sinless things can become sinful. I'm not against Little League Baseball. I'm not against, you know, piano lessons. I'm not against, you know, the, the, the scout programs and all of these other things. A lot of those things are well and good, but, but they're not good when we let our life get out of balance. And after a while, we've exerted all of our time and all of our energy on things that are not 
of the greatest importance. Diversion, just get us distracted, get our attention on something else. I think it's true of most of us that for the last year, we have had a battle on our hands trying to keep our focus where it needs to be because of the heartbreaking situation in electing a new president. And we look at this and we fret and we wring our hands and we worry and we wonder what in the world is going to happen to our nation. Look, uh, listen, I don't think we all have a frivolous attitude about that. This is dead serious. America is in deep trouble. There's no doubt about that. But God never sent us on a mission to save America or to save and to change the world. That's not our mission. We dare not let anything divert our attention to where we're busy doing this and that. Good things, but not the most important things. And then he uses doubt, of course. That's the first thing he did there in the garden, right? He said to Eve, Yea, hath God said... Did God really say that? Are you sure that you heard God correctly? He didn't say, look, Eve, you've got it all wrong. There is no God. I mean, she was too smart to believe that. And he knew that. He, he didn't deny God. He just said, have God said, are you sure that you've got this right? And he's been questioning the word of God ever since then. And, and you see, if he, listen, if he can get us to doubt the Word of God, he has got a major victory in our life. He can defeat us just through doubt. And then there's discouragement. Somebody said discouragement was the most effective tool in the devil's workshop. That might be right. D.L. Moody said, I've never known God to use a discouraged man. You know, it's a constant fight. For every pastor trying to, not only trying to keep people encouraged, but trying to stay encouraged. That, that's one of the most difficult things because with all of the stuff that's going on in the world today, there are people that, you know, that it's not that they deny God and drop out of church and rob a bank or some crazy thing like that. They, they don't do that. It's just they get so discouraged that for all practical purposes, they become useless to the kingdom of God. Discouraged. No doubt there's not one person here that could honestly say, I've never had to worry about that because I've never been discouraged. I don't believe that for a second. We all get discouraged, and it's a constant fight, and, and Satan is constantly at work trying to discourage us. And that, that's one reason why that we need a daily dose of the Word of God every single day. We need what only the Word of God can provide. That's why Job said, I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Listen, it's a living book. It does something that nothing else can do. And I'll guarantee you, you neglect the Word of God, you neglect feeding upon God's Word, and it's just a matter of time until you get discouraged, you get distraught. Something's going to happen, it's going to bring you down, it's going to destroy your life. But it might be another device is just delay. 
Uh, just, you know, just put it off. Don't, don't deny it. Just put it off. Just wait till some other time. It's like those three fellows in Luke chapter number nine, you know, and each one of them said, you know, said, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first. Well, they had some really good excuses. He said, first, let, let me first go back and bury the dead, you know, my, my family. Uh, somebody, somebody died, I got to go back. My, my daddy died, got to go back and bury him. And the Lord rebuked all of them. And it's not that they said, look, we don't intend to ever follow you. It's just, let's wait. You know, it's not on the front burner right now. Someday I'm going to do that, and that's the way a lot of people think. And they just keep delaying, just keep putting it off. Another device might be that of dissension. In fact, when Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, keep in mind that he's writing to them for the purpose of trying to solve the problems that existed there, and at the, the root of the problem was a lack of love between the members. But it evidenced itself in the fact that there was dissension in the church. Dissension that created division. And you see, he knows that if he can create dissension in the Lord's church, he's going to get a major victory. And there's always, always something, right? Somebody, you know, by the way, Brother Kenneth can tell you, we hear so much more than what we want to hear because we don't go around. We're not, you know, like Sherlock Holmes going around trying to discover all of the facts and get the scoop on people so we can, you know, uh, confront them with their shortcomings and their sins. We're, we're not looking for anything. You don't have to look for it. Most of them are so stupid, they just put it on Facebook. <laughs> really? There it is. There's my sin. <laughs> You said, that's what's happened to us today. We not only sin against God, we, we celebrate our sin. And then we wonder what in the world has happened to our nation. We wonder why it is that God withholds His blessings. But there's always this dissension, you know, in the church. Well, there are people that, that, and listen, I, I, as I've said so many times, I think this is the best church in town. I don't have any doubt about that, and I love this church with all of my heart. But if you think for a second that we are as perfect as we ought to be, why, boy, look, you've got some serious mental problems. Because we're far from perfect. I'd like to be able to say, you know, by the way, I don't I don't know of any time we've ever been close to a church split since I've been here. I, I don't know of any time like that. Of course, I <laughs> might have been stuff going on I didn't know about. But let's not kid ourselves. There's some of you right now that you're, you're madder than an old wet hen at somebody else. You're all ticked off at somebody. You're puffed up like a toad, and, and you try to pretend like everything is well. As some of you, you see me coming, you run the other way. You think I don't know that? Absolutely, I'm telling you the truth. That's just the way it is. Dissension in the church. And so here you have a church there at Corinth, and they have all of the spiritual gifts. He said, you don't come behind any spiritual gift. You've got them all. Wow. 
That's, that's awesome. But they couldn't use them even though they had them because he said, I couldn't feed you with strong meat because you're, you know, like little babies. I had to give you milk. And there was decision. They were arguing about who was going to be the greatest and is arguing about who they were going to follow and all of that bickering. And I'm, I'm telling you that is exactly what Satan tries to do in every church and every home to create dissension. Now, obviously, we could just go on and on and on talking about these things related to Satan. But here's what I want to leave with you, and I want you to understand. We've got to consider Satan's defeat. We think about his obvious danger and his devices and a lot of other things we could say. But so many times, you know, we, we, we look at Satan and his power, and all of a sudden we are so... Uh, well, what's, what's the word? We're so enamored, as it were, with, with satanic stuff that all of a sudden, you know, we, we got that on our mind 24 hours a day. I preached uh, many years ago in Missouri, preached a series about Satanism and stuff like that. And all of a sudden we had members of the church talking about seeing furniture moving around and all kinds of weird stuff. And I learned a really important lesson as a result of that. And that is, don't give the devil any more advertisement than you have to. And instead of thinking about Satan's great power and so forth, what we've got to consider is Satan's defeat. He's already been defeated. You see, we're not fighting for the victory. We're fighting from victory. Amen? And I realize that his ultimate destruction doesn't come until later on. It's described over in Revelation where he's cast into the bottomless pit forever and ever and ever. I realize that. But even right now, Satan is defeated. And there's absolutely no reason for any child of God to be defeated by Satan because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. If he gets the victory in your life, it's not because of his mighty power. It's because of your fleshly weakness. And it doesn't have to be that way. Now, a lot of times, you know, we look at someone that's, that's unsaved. And it might be that their, their spiritual condition is uh, so evident and that, you know, they're captivated by some particular sin. It might be alcohol, it might be drugs, it might be sex, it could be a thousand and one different things. And we, we look at them and we see the damage that it does, and, and those that don't know any better have the mentality, well, you know, they made their bed, let them sleep in it. They, you know, I mean, they made a mess out of their life, it's their own fault, they need to just change the way they live. And what you don't understand is, is when a person is unsaved, they can't just change the way that they live. Paul said they're taken captive by the devil at his will. I can remember as an unsaved drunkard and no good for nothing. And, and I could see the damage that it was causing. I could see the the hurt that it brought into my into my family. 
And I can remember the times that I resolved over and over again to bail. And, uh, you know, I, look, I, I'm, 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 I'm going to stop. I'm going to quit drinking. I'll quit going to the clubs. I, I, I'm not going to do that anymore. And for some reason, I remember one special moment in time that, and I won't explain it all, but I was standing there looking in a mirror, and I kept thinking to myself, surely there's more to me than this. Surely there's more to me than this. I'd never been raised in church, didn't know anything about the Bible, didn't know anything about Christ, didn't know anything about spiritual stuff at all. But as I looked at this reflection of me in that mirror and just saw a body, but I realized that there's, there's something more, there's something missing. It was just a matter of, of days or weeks before somebody, a friend, invited me to church. And I've got to tell you, at any other time in my life, I would have said no. Not interested. Too busy. Let me tell you, sometimes, and I want you to listen carefully to what I'm saying, sometimes the most awful, tragic thing in your life, the worst thing in your life, God can take that and use it to awaken you and bring you to the place you need to be. And it was at that moment, with fresh on my mind, the greatest failure of my life. And he said, why don't you come go to church with us Sunday? I said, okay, we will. I couldn't change the way that I was living, but after a few weeks... I heard the gospel, I received the gospel, I received Christ as my Lord and Savior. And you said, well, did you change then? No, I didn't change. He changed me. You see, it's never about you and I changing ourselves. He's the change agent. And the only way that any of us can live victoriously over Satan is for us to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Christ already won the victory. I love the way Paul put it when he was writing to the Galatians and talking about the difference that Christ made. And he said that he might deliver us from this present evil world. I don't have words to describe for you how evil this world is. I don't have any way to describe for you how dangerous Satan is. But I can, I can tell you beyond any shadow of a doubt that Christ is the answer. Amen. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I'm not fighting trying to get the victory. Jesus won the victory when he died on the cross and arose from the grave. I have the victory, and all I need to do is claim it by yielding myself to the Holy Spirit. And as I do, and that's why my very first favorite Christian song was Victory in Jesus. I'll never forget that. Boy, I, I just started going to church, and they, I never heard that song before. Of course, I'd never been saved before. 
And by the way, that doesn't mean you can get saved over and over. But I trusted Christ as my Savior, and we'd sing that, it seemed like, nearly every week. And it was so real to me because I experienced that. And you know, there might be someone here today and that you've been living your life in defeat, overcome by the by Satan and his power. And I want you to know today the good news is you don't have to live that way anymore. Something amazing happened, you'll see in just a minute. Yesterday morning, all of the men gathered here and was having a fellowship uh, fellowship meal, and we were eating. And there was a young man that happened to be here. And I'll introduce you in just a minute. And that young man, Brother Kenneth, uh, was talking to him, and Brother Fred happened to be here. And uh, some way or another, he put them together. And uh, before you got rid of your indigestion, that young man came to know Jesus as his personal Savior. Amen. He's not only the answer for that young man, he's the answer for your problems and the only one that can meet the needs of your life. Will you trust him this morning? Let's all stand together. Father, how we thank you, Lord, for for the demonstration of your great love by giving your son who died on the cross. We're so grateful, Heavenly Father, not only for the forgiveness of sins, not only for the hope of heaven, But we're thankful for the difference that you make in our lives right here, right now. And Heavenly Father, there's no doubt some woman here today who needs a new husband. There are children here today that need a new daddy. There are people here today that have been living every moment of their life in captivity to sin. And I pray you'll help them to see that The victory has been won and the bonds can be broken and they can live in victory today. Awaken them to their need and draw them to yourself. May your spirit speak to their heart. May they respond to your goodness and be saved here this morning. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Now, while we stand and as we sing... If you're hearing God speaking to your heart about anything whatsoever, would you come?